Come on. Well, happy Easter, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online in Overflow, standing in the back. I promise I'm going to make it worth your while, okay? I'm going to do my best. Man, happy Easter. It's no doubt we're going to talk about the resurrection. Like, he is risen. We're celebrating today with about 2 billion other people in different time zones all around the world who are celebrating this reality and remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so I want us to be able to avoid a couple of the dangers of that because sometimes it can get so common. There's a danger that we leave it in history and it stays way back there 2,000 years ago and we're like, ah, yeah, one day that'll, that'll, that'll be effective for me. One day I'll need that when I get over here to eternity, you know, when I get to the sweet by and by. And we think sometimes that, you know, the resurrection is only, uh, you know, a reward, a carrot out in front of us that God dangles so we'll be good little boys and girls till we get to heaven, Right. And so what we don't want to miss, though, is the power of the resurrection for today. Amen, somebody? Like the power of the resurrection for today. You know, the resurrection has the power to reroute our disappointment. It has the power to rewrite our story. It has the power to redeem what was lost, to restore what's been broken. It has the power to engulf us in a life so overwhelming that it changes everything about every day in every single way. You see, the resurrection, it is, it's, it's the proof that our faith is real. It's the kept promise that, that, that points to our future. And it should hammer into our hearts a different way to live. Amen. And so today we want to unpack that. One of my favorite quotes about the resurrection is the resurrection means that the worst thing was never the last thing. The worst thing was never the last thing. And one of the things that Easter should, should cause us to do, it should cause us to investigate. It should cause us to investigate, but then from the results that we find, it should cause us to anticipate. And for today, for some of you, there's some things that you need to investigate so, so you can have something to anticipate. You know, some people, you just need to be reminded today. You know, you had that faith, you believed and you've been going through the motions ever since, feel like you're doing the right things, but the life, this overwhelming life, this vitality, this excitement, this joy may be waning in your life today. Maybe you need to be reminded. You know, for some people, we just need a reset. You know, we just need a reset in our faith. There's some things that we've forgotten, some habits that we've gotten out of, and we just need a reset today. I know so many times I need to be reminded to have a reset. So many things that I forget in life and so many things that we forget in life. And then and then the last thing is there some of you here that, man, you, God just wants to reveal himself to you. God wants you to, for the first time, really believe and embrace the resurrection story of Jesus and make it real in your life. And so we're going to look at the account of a guy named Luke. Let's all say Luke together. Luke. I love saying Luke because you can just write it out, right? Luke. Love Luke. Luke wrote an eyewitness account of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus' life, as a matter of fact. And Luke investigates, and he talks about it actually in the very beginning of his letter in, in what's called the book of Luke in the Bible. It's, a, it's, a, it's an account that he wrote, and he wrote this. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses are always important, Ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me, having followed these things closely for some time now, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's his friend of his. 
that you may have certainty, certainty, belief concerning the things that you have been taught. And one of the things that makes Luke's account so interesting is that Luke was a doctor. So Luke knew something about methods of research and coming to a conclusion and investigating things. Luke may have been the very first, if podcasts would have been a thing, he would have been the very first crime podcast to ever be published. More than Up and Vanished or Serial, Luke goes through and investigates and he talks to eyewitnesses. He talks to dozens of eyewitnesses of these things that had happened. He also experienced many of them himself. And think about this, Luke was a doctor, so he has a very unique perspective on someone who dies. It's safe to say that Luke never treated a patient that died and came back to life. We know that anytime someone got close to death, they always had a pulse, and Luke would have known that, but Luke would have seen people die. Luke would have known the ugliness and the stench and the finality of death, and so he writes about this. And as we get to the, the portion of his account that we're at today, Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been executed through crucifixion. And, and now he's been placed in the tomb. And, and as, as we come on the scene today, we see some of his early followers who were right there coming to take care of his body. In Luke chapter 23, if you have your Bible, you should grab it. Um, if not, go to your phone. And if not, you'll see it on the screen. Luke chapter, I'm going to start at the end of verse 20, uh, chapter 23. It says, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So some women had been following Jesus. And so they were there when he was executed. They saw him die. They saw the ugliness, the humiliation, the shame, the death. And they went to the place where Jesus' body was laid because they were going to have to go back later. And they wanted to be sure that they got the right tomb. So they, they go to the tomb where his body was laid. Then they return home and they prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now, now one first thing to point out with, Jesus died like physically died. This isn't just a metaphor for when things get difficult in life, you can make it through. This is a literal physical death that Jesus died. He's placed in a tomb. And, and, and these women were wanting to prepare his body basically uh, to, so that the, they wanted to prepare his body with spices and ointments. And so they couldn't on the day immediately following his death simply because it was the Sabbath and there was no work that was allowed on the Sabbath. So they prepare some spices that night and then they wait 24 hours. Like, have you ever been with a family that's just lost a loved one in the 24 hours after it's happened? And it's, it's sadness, it's shock, it's disappointment. That's what these ladies are feeling right now. So they go through for 24 hours with all their hopes gone. And then in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, at early dawn, about the time we had our sunrise service this morning, it was awesome. You, you thought you were coming to that. You're a little late, right? <laughs> they went to the tomb. They took spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this or puzzled about this or wondering about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Those would have been angels. Said, as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. So these women go to the tomb 
looking for Jesus, and he's gone. And now, one thing to note about the early Christian movement In the Roman culture of that day, women were considered not even citizens. They were considered property. They weren't allowed to vote. And any witness that they gave wasn't allowed in court. And what Jesus had done is he had come along and he had elevated the status of women, but of all people, no matter where you came from or what your gender was or what your race was or what your financial status was, he elevated them. So he had taken these women and he had elevated their status Now, we know that generally, but what about specifically? Like, who were they? Luke interviewed them. Like, one of them was Mary Magdalene. Anybody ever heard of Mary Magdalene before? So Mary Magdalene was someone who was demonically possessed and and struggled with many types of illnesses. Jesus comes along and heals her. And in my mind, when I read the description of her and what she went through. It reminds me of someone that maybe if you and I were downtown, we may, we may pass someone who's pushing a grocery cart. They're having a conversation with somebody who's not there. Have you ever seen that? And generally, what do we do? We go to the other side of the street and avoid them. Not Jesus. Like Jesus embraces her, heals her, and she becomes one of his followers. Not only that, Mary Magdalene is from a a city called Magdala, Mary Magdalene, that was known prominently for prostitution. So odds are some scholars believe that Mary not only struggled with mental illness and some other issues, she also struggled, she also was someone uh, who was a prostitute, someone that people would have used and abused, someone that people looked down on, some people... People that that got excluded is what would have happened to her. And now here comes somebody to elevate her, to give her a place, to include her, to give her value. And he's gone. Can you imagine the disappointment and the despair in her life? The one person who gave her value and now he's gone. You know, another, another lady, another woman who was in this story is Salome. Now, Salome, she is the mom of James and John, who were two of Jesus' closest followers. Salome is the first recorded helicopter parent that we know of in the Bible. (laughs) Any helicopter parents in here? All right, come on, I'm going to help you out. I got you, I got you. So, ironically, James and John began to follow Jesus. Now, James and John would not have, you know, they would not have been following anyone. They were in the family business. They began to follow Jesus, and they had this hope that he was going to be this king who was going to restore the nation of Israel. He was going to be a king to come into power and prestige. They were going to be right along with him to the point where Salome goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, hey, when when you come into your kingdom, will you be sure that my boys James and John sit on your right hand and your left hand? like helicopter parenting, trying to make a way, had all her hopes put in Jesus for her boys to be good, to do something. Now, for parents in the room, don't you just love people who do something good for your children? Like they are heroes to us. When they do something good, affirm them, help them. And that is what she was expecting Jesus to do and gone. All the hopes she had for her kids, disappointment, devastation, then you had Joanna. Joanna was the wife of Chusa. Now, now, Joanna followed Jesus, and Chusa was basically the chief of staff for the governor in the region. 
So Joanna was well-connected. She had a lot of resources. She went to all the high parties. She knew all the important people. And she knew everybody in the, in the region who was somebody. She knew how to get things done. As a matter of fact, most people believe that one of Luke's primary sources was Joanna. And Jesus dies. All her hope, gone. Disappointment. And then, and then the other woman who was there, who watched him die, who went to the tomb, who came back and his body was gone, his mom. Now we all know whether we're parents or not, when your children die before you do, that's out of order. And she had such high hopes. And if you think back on her experience with Jesus, that when he was conceived, the angel tells her she's going to have a child and she's got to tell Joseph and she's got to go through the public humiliation and the shame of all of that. And then I just wonder what her mindset was like as she watches Jesus grow up and the things that he would do and the things that he would say and the hopes she had for him. And then as he, he got into, went into public ministry and he had this great following of all these people, can you imagine how proud she would have been? That's my boy. And then like a thief in the night, executed. The disappointment that had to happen for these women, the disappointment for all of those who were there, have you ever been disappointed? Isn't it part of the human experience that we get disappointed? There's, there's expectations we have in life that don't get fulfilled. You know, there, there's, there's little disappointments. You know, it, didn't, didn't, it rained on our vacation. My team didn't win. Wore the wrong color shoes to work. There's some small ones. Then there's massive disappointments. There's disappointments when dreams die. There's disappointments when hopes get dashed. When that career didn't turn out like I wanted. That marriage didn't turn out like I wanted. That family didn't turn out like I wanted. And we're disappointed. We, we get the wrong body. We get the wrong bank account. And, and you know what's worse than something being disappointed in something that's bad? It's chasing your dream and working really hard. And having some success and sitting down one day in the comfort of the, of the kingdom that we've created and looking around and saying, there's got to be more than this because we built the wrong kingdom. These ladies face some significant disappointment. Hey, what, what disappointment drives you? What, what disappointment in your life drives you? Is it a relationship or a hope, an education, a death. What, what disappointment drives you? This is what happened to the ladies and then to these women. And then there's this question that emerges out of the darkness from the angels. It says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, now, here's the truth about this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You know what? They weren't seeking the living. <laughs> they expected that Jesus was dead. Why did the angel ask them that question? He asks them the question to stir them up so that they can come to grips with the reality of who they've been following the last three years. Like, you know, sometimes when you get asked a question, you just give the canned answer. You ever do that? Like in church, you, there's always one answer for every question. We all know what the answer is, right? Jesus. Yeah, that's always the right answer. We know the right answer. But 
The angel asks this question so they'll wrestle with it deep in their soul. They'll really reflect back on why they're there and what they're looking for. Why are they looking for the living among the dead? And then the angel goes on to remind them. In verse 6, it says, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and then to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. They had to be reminded that the offer is life. The offer is life. Our disappointments can cause us to doubt, cause us to doubt, cause us to give up, cause us to let things die, but the offer is life. And Jesus had to say this over and over and over again. In John chapter one, we see it written of Jesus as in him was life and life was the light of men. In John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in one of the most famous quotes on life, John chapter 10, Jesus says this, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Like this is the promise that we have, life that's overflowing, spiritual life that settles deep into our soul. It gives us the strength to navigate tragedy. It gives us the vision to have hope for the future. This is the life, not temporary, not shallow, not superficial, but deep, abiding, sustaining life. This is the promise of the Bible. This is the story of the Bible. Jesus didn't come just so we could have a better moral code. We could just follow the Ten Commandments. He didn't come so we could reform society. He didn't come just so that we could build wells in Africa and house the homeless in the urban centers. He didn't come just so we could go feed people on the border of Ukraine. We do all of that, but why? Because he came and gave us life. We do that because it's overflowing from us. It doesn't earn us anything with God. It's just the necessary response. And you may be walking through life with some disappointment or going through the motions, and you just need to know today, the offer is life. There is more to your life than what you're living in right now. And this is what that question stirred up in these ladies today. We need life, and we're all going after it. Everybody, all of us in the room. The, the, the way the question is phrased, Why do you seek the living among the dead? The word for seek means to desire. It means my, it's it's what I crave. It means this great pursuit. And let me tell you what your deepest desire is today. Our deepest desire is a work worthy of eternity. That's our deepest desire. That's what's haunting you today. That's what's driving you today. It's this, it's this desire to do something that's going to matter. The way that we view life and other words to kind of wrap around this concept is a life of purpose. We all want to know that we lived out the thing we were supposed to do. We want to know that we didn't waste our time. We want to know that we have value and meaning. We want to know that our life mattered. And this is the promise from Jesus. We have life. And he gives us these glimpses of it everywhere. There's there's a quote by Martin Luther that I love. It says this, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime. Every leaf of springtime. Like, don't you love spring? I don't hear anybody when winter comes around say, I'm so glad this is here. I love winter. I'm so, I, I, I'm so sorry I moved from Detroit to Atlanta. I want to move back. Nobody says that. We know. 
We know there's something about spring and the birds singing and the flowers blooming. And even though we love to complain about the pollen, we are glad that things are green again. Amen. We are thankful and the sun warms our skin. This is just a glimpse of springtime. Hey, I think this is one reason that we love the Masters so much. Anybody watch the Masters last week? Anybody wish you could have watched it, but you were too busy? I'm so sorry. Um, but, but if you just think about this for just a second, we love it because it's in Georgia and that makes it amazing because um, there's not a lot of stuff we get to brag about. So we have the Masters every year. And if you just watch it on TV, or if you're there in person, you know that you just see this lush green fairway and it just looks like carpet. It's just so beautiful. And then you have the azaleas blooming and the dogwoods blooming and you have these massive trees and you just are captured by nature and you hear the birds chirping even if it is the master soundtrack you know what they're trying to create you all know don't you uh-huh and then somebody emerges from the shadows they tee off on that first hole and we see something happen in them as they navigate the 18 holes of the master they they gather some confidence and they begin to pull ahead and then on that 18th green, they make that final putt to win the Masters. And there's something in it that calls to our hearts that says there's more to life than this. Hey, have you ever had a day where you thought, that's the way things should be? Things went your way? You went on vacation, it didn't rain, your kids didn't complain. <laughs> you got in at night and you were a little sunburned. Sorry, dermatologist, you were a little sunburned, kind of that good kind of sunburn, and you just settle in to watch a TV show and to go to bed early. You're like, this is the way it should be. We're all searching for life. But we have to search for places that are deeper than just today. We can't be fixated on the present. Listen, do you have any expectations that are deeper than today? Deeper than getting up Easter egg baskets and dressing nice? Like, what are the real expectations of your life? What are you looking forward to? And if we're not careful, what happens is we'll do what the women did. Man, we will look for life in dead things. We'll look for life in places that can't deliver life. We'll look for life in the temporary. Do you know why we do that? Like, like why is it that we look for life in places that we know deep down it can't deliver? You know why? It's called good marketing. That's what it's called. I can remember when I first learned about good marketing. And marketing is just this ability to make something appear really, really good so you will buy it no matter if it's really good or not. And do you guys remember the Taster's Choice commercial that came out years ago? And it goes a little like this. There's the, 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 the tagline is, times like these were made for Taster's Choice. And they would have you believe by watching that commercial that your date night's gonna end up in a romantic rendezvous that you're going to wake up that next day and it's going to be the most productive day ever, that you're going to sit down with that cup of taster's choice at the end and you're going to look back and say, this is the way life should be, all from a cup of nasty instant coffee. <laughs> Man, death can imitate life and it can be counterfeit and we'll find ourselves pursuing things that can't deliver the deep satisfaction that God wants us to have. You know, I don't think it's ironic that, that the picture that we find on our currency is what? Dead presidents. Now, is money bad? Of course not. Is money something that's a tool for the kingdom? Absolutely. Is it something that God gives us? Yes. But can we depend on it past today? It promises stability, but it can't deliver. And we, we, we depend on jobs to bring us life. Some of us helicopter parents depend, depend on our kids 
to bring us life. And we put so much pressure on them and weight on their shoulders that, that they're not equipped to bear. Man, we medicate. And we medicate through things like binge watching, you know, the last season of Ted Lasso or some other show. Like, when's the last time you had a conversation? Hey, what are you watching? What are you watching on Netflix? What are you watching? What, what good show am I missing out on? Again, are they inherently bad? No, but they begin to medicate us and distract us from the life that God has for us. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, scrolling, social media. We get distracted when the offer is life and we try to satisfy ourselves with things that can't deliver. Hey, where are you looking for satisfaction? Like, what's your go-to? What do you look forward to? Be sure, be sure that it's the life that can sustain you through everything. So we see Peter find out about the body being gone. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. Peter is one that we all kind of like and identify with because he had no filter. You know, he would say whatever came to his mind. Anybody like that in the room? Whatever comes to your mind, you say it. And people are like, I don't want to be around you because you're terrible. And so <laughs> Peter had a little bit of that reputation. And, but Peter also, when he found something, he went for it. He had a bias towards action. When he knew the right thing to do, he did the right thing to do, even though at times it may have caused him to do the wrong thing. And so Peter, oh, let me just tell you about this part of the story. So Peter has followed Jesus, says, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. And then what happens is as Jesus is going to be executed, he's like, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, nah, not me. No way. Jesus, I die with you. Peter denies Jesus during Jesus' trial, denies him the first time, the second time. And then a third time rolls around. He's warming himself by the fire. He looks up and he sees across the courtyard where the mock trial is being held. He catches eyes with Jesus and, excuse me, and denies him a third time. So this is what Peter's living with for 24 hours. He had denied the one that he expected everything from. And then this is what happens. After Peter heard it, it says, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened because he remembered what Jesus had said because Jesus had called his shot. Jesus had predicted everything that would happen. And as the saying goes, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. It reminds me of the story of 1932 World Series, one of the most famous sports stories, Babe Ruth calling his shot. You've heard this story? In 1932, the Yankees are playing the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And in the World Series, they're in the third game of the, of the World Series in the fifth inning. And in those days, you know, we think trash talking is bad now. In those days, the fans were closer to the field, and it was rugged. They would say some things you couldn't repeat in church. And they were yelling at the players and at Babe Ruth. The other team is heckling him. And, of course, Ruth is giving it back to him as much as possible. Game is tied four to four, and he steps up to the plate. The first pitch calls strike one. The crowd loses their mind. They began to criticize and hurl insults at him, and he begins to call back to them. The pitcher settles in for pitch number two. Ruth takes his bat, points it out over the flagpole. Stands in, strike two. Luke's, Ruth steps out of the box. The crowd's losing its mind. Luke, Ruth settles back in, digs his feet in. 
looks at the pitcher, takes the bat, points it over the flagpole, third pitch, curveball on the way, and he crushes it 490 feet over the flagpole. Ruth called a shot. Jesus told us what he would do. He told us he would rise from the dead. That's why we can trust who he is. He's the peace that passes understanding. He's the joy that comes in the morning. He's the hope that's an anchor for our soul. He's the light to light the way in darkness. He's the wisdom to make good decisions. He's the foundation of creation. He's the force that holds it together. And he is the resurrection that promises us and guarantees us life. Don't let anybody cheat you with anything less. When you wake up in the morning, what if you could be engulfed with a life so overwhelming and so fulfilling and so satisfying that no matter what you faced, you knew that you could anticipate good with him. Man, one of the things about spring is the flowers that bloom. And one of my favorite flowers, I love flowers, and one of my favorite flowers is the sunflower. Now, the sunflower is unique. If you've ever seen a field of sunflowers, they, the faces of the sunflower tracks the sun all day long. What does a sunflower do when the sun goes down and darkness sits in? The source of life doesn't, isn't apparent to them. Sunflowers literally turn their face back to the east to anticipate the sun coming up. Hey, this is the promise of the resurrection, that we can anticipate God's work in our life and that we can have a hope that will stand the test of eternity. Let's pray together. just going to take a minute just to be quiet and still. Maybe the only time that happens all day. We're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and just kind of look inside. Where have we been looking for life? Things to satisfy us that can't. Things that we're holding on to that we don't want to let go of, even though they're destroying us. Or at best, they're just holding us back. And so for those of us today, for those in the room that just need to make today their statement of faith, today their dedication today their step of hope towards Jesus. I want to help you with that. If you've never made a decision to commit your life to follow Jesus, I want to help you do that today. And so what I want to do is I just want to lead you in a prayer. And it's not magical because I say it because I've got the mic. It it matters because it's in your heart and it's what your heart is committing to. And I just want to lead you in a prayer today if that's you, if you want to make a step to follow Jesus for the first time. Dear God, Thank you for the cross. I believe in the resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Give me life, abundant life that comes through knowing Jesus. You know, and the Bible tells us that if you prayed that prayer, it's a new day for you. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And if that's you, you don't want to walk out of here and get caught up in the moment and and, and then get distracted through what God did in your heart during our time together. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to help you mark the moment today. So I'm going to count to three. 
And we do this every single week here. I'm going to count to three and just invite you. If you prayed that, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand in the air and let's make eye contact. It's just a way for, for you to mark the moment and for you to take a step and for you to reset your life today. So on the count of three, if that was you, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. Let's make eye contact. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And God, that we just be reminded today of the resurrection. God, that we be reminded it has power today. And it, it, it gives us the strength to navigate the challenges we may face, God, but it gives us purpose. It gives us a joy. It gives us a hope. And God, we just anticipate the life you're going to give us. And we look forward every single day to the dawning of life in our souls. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.